Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The Death and Resurrection of Jesus. So turning your Bibles to Matthew 26, 30 to 35, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Will I Fall Away? It's very hard to know how we would act, you know, in circumstances that we've not gone through before. Soldiers who have been in conflict frequently tell of reactions that are surprising. Men who appeared brave suddenly crumble, and sometimes men from whom we would not have expected it distinguish themselves. Who knows themselves well enough to know how they'll react in a crisis? And it's not just on the battlefield. It's also true in all sorts of areas of life. Who, before they became a parent, knows how they will interact with a newborn and then year after year walk with that individual as they grow and mature. But there's another question. Will I be found faithful unto Jesus unto the hour of my death? What experiences might I face that might cause my wayward heart to abandon him? Could I become like one of those souls who simply walk away from the faith? You know, in our study of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've already seen Judas entering into a deal with the chief priests and the scribes to betray Jesus. It took four months of wages to convince him to do that. In essence, he sold his soul for four months of a salary. Now, that's all it took. I wonder about that. Could Judas have imagined that he was capable of that when he first became a follower of Jesus? Well, perhaps not. Perhaps his view of himself was a view that he was faithful unto death. And if that were so, what confidence do any of us have? But there were signs. John tells us that Judas was a thief, and on occasion he would steal money from the offering. Money was an issue in his life. It was an issue never resolved. Perhaps he thinks he can be faithful unto death and never deal with his love of money. And because he continued to love money, the temptations that he might have mastered simply grew until they overwhelmed him, and then he stepped out of the light into the darkness. The story would end a short time later as Judas would commit suicide. I mean, think of what he purchased for just four months of salary. And that's really at the heart of our study. I think with all people who fall away from the faith, indeed, I think there are no exceptions to this, something was left unresolved, unconfessed, or a secret love that was inconsistent with the faith was nurtured and hidden. Yeah, the person who nurtures sin and will not renounce it will only see something like, you know, an untreated cancer. It just continues to grow. Look, I'm not talking about the weakness of the flesh. I mean, those cases... The person who struggles with sin might continue to fight and continue to ask the Holy Spirit to give them power to overcome. But the person who has a love affair with secret sin is determined to keep that sin. Much like the Lord of the Rings, when no one's looking, we say of the sin we will not renounce, my precious. Well, now, we're examining the tragedy of Judas, the man who will renounce Jesus and in remorse will hang himself filled with grief but unable to repent. Rather than simply examining his life, let's see what we can learn from it so that we never become like him. And by the time we pick up our text today, Judas has left. The disciples have celebrated the Passover. A Passover has become the first ever Lord's Supper. 
Now they're going to leave that room where they had eaten the meal together. And Matthew 26, verse 30 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You know, the hymn they sang was probably one of the Hallel Psalms. You know, they're found in Psalms 113 to 118. And, you know, the word Hallel means praise. These six psalms over time became closely connected with Passover because these psalms do feature Egypt and the experience of bondage. You know, so for instance, Psalm 114 verses 1 to 2. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Or maybe Psalm 116, 3 to 4. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. You know, these psalms, when sung, well, they were a reminder of how God had delivered Israel from bondage and slavery. The 12 men in the room sang one of those psalms, and then they went out with Jesus leading them. And Jesus had been staying in Bethany, that's outside the city of Jerusalem, Were they going to walk all the way back there? Well, no, they were not. It was a requirement that people celebrating Passover would need to stay within the city limits through the night, but those limits extended all the way out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus was going there. But why go there? Well, the answer in my mind is that Jesus was going somewhere outside of the city to a place he had often been. Yeah, he wanted time to pray, but he was also making it easy for Judas to find him and to betray him. Jesus was not hiding. He was going to help Judas make the betrayal even easier than Judas had imagined. It's within this drama that Judas is left to go betray him and that Jesus was going to the place where he would be betrayed that we have the conversation as follows. The conversation appears to take place while they're walking. Matthew 26, 31 to 35. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So let's begin with the words, fall away. You know, other translations have translated this as to lose faith or even that you will all take offense at me. You know, others have felt it should be translated, you will all be brought down or be made to stumble. That should signal us that translators are struggling to find just the right word to capture what Jesus said. Let's get a sense of the verb. It's found a number of times in Matthew, but I want to concentrate on two specific passages. The first is Matthew 11, verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me, says Jesus. Yeah, that word offended is the same word used here in our passage translated as fall away. Offended is an interesting term. You might think of someone who says something or does something that we think of it as an affront. And consequently, our relationship with them changes. We now look at them not as a welcome friend, but as an affront. I'm offended. A wall or a barrier has grown up between us. Is that what Jesus was saying to the eleven? Something's about to happen in which you're going to be offended. 
You expect me to vanquish my enemies, and instead, my enemies will appear to triumph over me, and you're going to take offense. You're going to say, what kind of a Messiah is that? See, is that what Jesus had in mind? Well, a second example of the verb is found in Matthew 18, verse 6, where the verb is translated as to sin. If anyone causes one of these little ones to sin or to to trip up because of what you do, Jesus said it would be better that a, a millstone were fastened around your neck and you be drowned. See, it's the same word here. Something you do is very much like a, a rock placed in a road. Foot hits it, person falls headlong, consequently, they're not on the path anymore. So here we are. The word we find in Matthew 26 is variously translated. How would the disciples have understood what Jesus was saying to them? I think it's best to see the word as, this very night, you're all going to stumble so that you're going to sin against me. You will, by your own behavior, take offense at me and against the commitment that you've made to follow me unto death. You've been walking down the path, but you're going to stumble. I think Jesus was saying something very strong. You see, normally we translate the words of Jesus to mean that all the disciples are frightened and they run away. But of course they're frightened and they did run away. But I think that Jesus is saying that what is about to happen is going to introduce an offense into your lives and you're going to stumble at Jesus. Now we're going to have to contrast that with what Judas did. Why does one of the experiences, the experience of Judas, result in apostasy and eternal damnation and the other merely results in a crisis of faith in which these men will repent and then return to their Lord. But let's get back to Jesus' words to the eleven. Jesus says, on this night, you'll be offended. You'll, at least for a time, you're going to cease to follow me. But Jesus is not done. He doesn't say it's going to happen in some you know, distant time in the future, because if that's what he said, they might have asked, how do we correct this? Instead, he says, it's closer than you think. You're not going to be able to avoid it. And as we know, Judas had no way back, but the 11 would repent. And we're going to have to consider the difference between the person who nurtures and loves sin and will not give up on that sin, and the other person who encounters something that at least for a moment overwhelms them. See, I've known a number of people that have gone through a crisis of the faith, but I've known others that have wandered from Jesus permanently. What's the difference? Every day we hear from listeners across the country, and your words of encouragement mean so much. Mason recently wrote, I really appreciate that you teach the Bible, straightforward, no mincing of words, as it is, and so informative. You know, we're grateful for messages just like these, but they only happen because of your generous support to help extend this program's reach across the nation to resource Canadians with trustworthy Bible teaching. It's a privilege to stand with like-minded and like-hearted individuals who share the steadfast commitment to see others engaged in a dynamic relationship with Jesus, grounded in biblical truth. Your donations are absolutely pivotal in fulfilling Back to the Bible Canada's mission, and we're so blessed by your partnership. To give today, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
Let's consider Hebrews 10, 26 to 27. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. See, and everything in Hebrews 10 hinges on that one word, deliberately. But consider the word deliberately when contrasting the disciples running away and being devastated when Jesus is arrested. I mean, think specifically of the two that Jesus will appear to on the road to Emmaus. You might remember they say, oh, we hope that he would redeem Israel. See, the implication is that their hope was crushed. They thought that Jesus would free them from Roman occupation in the same way that their forefathers were freed from Egyptian slavery, but it didn't happen that way. See, instead of emerging victorious, Jesus was crucified and died. They say their hope had been crushed. See, that's called a loss of faith. But once they see Jesus raised, and once they understand that redemption was redemption from sin, well, then suddenly they have a new grid. They now return to him. And that's because now they came to understand what he was saying to them all along. The stumbling that they had encountered wasn't a fatal stumbling. Not so with Judas. His sin was deliberate. Judas didn't lose hope. He set his face against Jesus. There's a difference, you know. And on this note, let me add my own observation. I have known adolescents who've walked away from their faith for a period of time. I've also seen adults fall into some very grievous sin. And I've seen many come to their senses and repent and come to the Lord begging for his forgiveness. And in so many cases, they've experienced the kindness and the grace of God. Indeed, so many of the revivals in history have occurred because people who have clung to sin finally abandoned it and they renounced it utterly and they flew to Christ for mercy. Revival, well, that's a season of refreshing and of returning to the Lord. But apostasy, that's called renouncing Jesus. It's deliberate. It's not based on the weakness of the flesh. It's based on a decision of the will. And I've never seen anyone coming back from that. They are as Judas. So when Jesus said the 11 would fall away, he quoted from the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7. You know, the passage is about the sword of God's judgment going out against a shepherd. And in that chapter, the shepherd is a good and righteous man. And when the sword strikes the good shepherd and he dies, the result is that the sheep no longer have anyone to follow and they run away. But Zechariah chapter 13 also contains a note of hope. The disaster that befalls the sheep refines them with the result that they call on the Lord. See, when Jesus told the disciples they'd all fall away on that night and that what happened to them would follow the pattern of Zechariah chapter 13, if the disciples had really thought about that, they would have had hope. Whatever their weaknesses were, in the end, they would be refined and their faith would be unshakable in the end. So if you think about it, seeing Jesus crucified and then experiencing a crisis in their faith and then seeing him raised from the dead, and being given the grace of forgiveness, all that was so desperately needed for them. That's because in the future, you know, the disciples would face persecution and even death, and they needed this refinement at this moment to help them to stand in the future. God was deliberately putting them through a crucible of testing so that they would be purified of all the dross in their lives. 
Now, at this point, the disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying. But I'm relatively sure they never heard Jesus' next words. And those are the words found in Matthew 26, verse 32. There Jesus says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In fact, the only reason those words are recorded is because Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit, remembered those words later. He, along with everyone else, let those words simply go over his head. And especially from John's gospel, we see Jesus raised from the dead, and he meets the disciples in Galilee where he instructs them. But the disciples heard none of this. Understandably, they were fixated on the words, you will all stumble and be brought down because of me. Not because of the men arresting me, but because of me. It's me you will lose faith in this very night. Stunned silence, walking in the dark, down the slopes of the Kidron Valley, and then to the Garden of Gethsemane on the other side. But before they get there, Peter's ready to speak. He makes a statement. He's pointing to the other ten. Though they fall away, he begins. See, he, he acknowledges it's possible with them. Indeed, when you hear his voice, you could almost hear, you know, this air of superiority. They, they might do it, he says. I certainly won't. It's bravado. It's arrogance. It carries with it the assumption that Peter knows himself better than Jesus knows him. You know, Jesus might have been right about the others, but he couldn't be right about me, says Peter. And that brings me to the question I've asked as we began our study. Will I fall away? I mean, if I know Jesus and love him, we might answer, you know, may it never be. Now, there was an older hymn, a hymn well worth remembering and singing. It's called, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. The lyrics to the hymn are attributed to Bernard of Clairvaux, great Christian who lived in the 12th century. The words are meant to be sung during Good Friday and during the Lenten season. It goes like this. O sacred head now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns thine only crown. You know, but I'm interested for our purposes in Clairvaux's words in the third verse. He writes, What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. I mean, those solemn, beautiful words. I would prefer death, writes Clairvaux than to live and abandon the one who bled and died for me. I, I'd hope that all believers would say the same. But while we say that, we need also to say that if we're honest, and if we're willing to be vulnerable, and if we're willing to abandon the bravado of Peter, that we might confess that as of yet, there's still so much darkness that remains in our hearts that would allow for the horrible responses to Christ. What might trigger that? Well, the trigger might be the difficulties we face. Jesus told us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, follow him. Some of us might say, you know, I, I'd rather deny him and cast aside the cross and follow my tendency towards pleasure than do the opposite. Well, there are other triggers. You know, I've already mentioned money. You know, it might be, you know, the cost of faithfulness in dollar terms is too high for you. The cost might be sexual faithfulness. You know, in this day, you know, when sexuality is a hotbed, you know, it's a flashpoint for many. The fact that Jesus demands that all sex be limited to heterosexual marriage for a lifetime and that all adultery is sin for some, that's a burden too great to bear. I mean, they may for a time outwardly comply with that, but the secret love of that which displeases God, it's like the ring and the, the Lord of the Rings. It's their precious. It's a desire they'll never renounce. It's a temptation to which they cling. 
The same may be true of other sins. Again, Judas loved money, and it has to be admitted, the idea that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem and become Messiah and bring about Israel's golden age, along with prosperity and fame, if, if Judas were to admit it, he loved that kind of a thing. Should Jesus take that from him, it would be overwhelmingly clear that he wouldn't follow Jesus. So let's get back to the 11 remaining disciples, and here I'm reading Matthew 26, verse 33 to 35. Peter answered, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Of course, Peter was wrong. Like all of us, he was so much weaker than he had imagined. Peter had thought Jesus was wrong. Surely thought Peter, I know myself better than Jesus does. He thinks I'm weak, I know I'm strong. Many of us are unaware of how prone we are to stumbling. You know, disappointment comes, pain comes, we lose something that's very precious to us, sin that so easily overwhelms us, financial crisis, destruction of our marriage, disease, the death of a loved one, facing our own impending death. Any of these might cause us to stumble. It turns out we don't know ourselves as well as we thought. But here we must examine ourselves. Is there a love in our lives that is greater than our love for Christ? I'm not talking about disappointment. I'm not talking about the moment of temptation. But I'm talking about a nourished, treasured sin that we would never renounce. We must renounce these sins lest we become like Judas. Yes, we may stumble, but we must never turn from our Lord. Thanks, John. Let me ask you, you know, you have to admire on one hand Peter's confidence, but on the other hand, how does his failure caution us as followers of Jesus? I think uh, we are cautioned because we must not think that in our own strength or, or by our own, you know, passion for Jesus or however we call that, that we have enough within us to continue to follow him. We don't. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We need the promise of God. You know, the righteousness, as I love to say, is in Christ and not in us. So put no confidence in yourself whatsoever. Put all the confidence in God being able to keep you in Christ. Um, And when our confidence is in God and not in us, we become strong because we realize we're actually weak. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, The Death and Resurrection of Jesus, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. There is perhaps no scripture more readily quoted or memorized than John 3.16, but sometimes, The things we think we know lose our attention. If you be needing a reminder of the wonderful promise held in this verse, then you'll be pleased to hear that Dr. John Neufeld has endeavored to refresh, deepen, and renew us in this simple yet profound message of God's love in his new five-message series called John 3.16. Dr. John expertly unpacks each element of this verse and applies it to the grand perspective of God's eternal plan for his glory. Because the saving message of the gospel is central to this verse, 
We wanted to make this CD series available to everyone this month for free. So request your free copy today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.